Welcome to Monday Morning Homilist. I'm Father Manny Alvarez. And I'm Jorge Santibanez. Every Monday morning, we dive deeper into the previous Sunday's readings and homilies. And towards the end, we veer off to talk about life and definitely talk a little sports. Enjoy. Good morning, happy Monday, and Father, isn't it nice when we have a solemnity, a special celebration on a Sunday? Yes, yesterday we celebrated the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and right now and then we have a solemnity that usually falls during the weekend as a holy day of obligation, fall on a Sunday, and it was so beautiful to be able to celebrate that and to expound on the beauty of the dogma of the Assumption, and I, and I was reading how different priests approached this homily yesterday, and it was so beautiful because a lot of them, in fact, we had a visiting priest yesterday for our Spanish Mass who was uh, an associate of mine when I was at Divine Providence Pastor there. And he went, I was listening to his homily, he went deep into the history of the development of the, of not only the, of the feast, but of the dogma of the Assumption through the years going back to the 4th, 5th centuries. So it, it's a really beautiful feast and solemnity, and, and we thank God that we were able to celebrate that and honor the Mother of God on a Sunday as, as Jesus would want. He wants us to honor his mother because his mother is the one who protects us. His mother is the one that brings us closer to him. So it was beautiful just yesterday to, to celebrate the solemnity and to help everyone understand a little bit better this dogma of the Assumption. For, and if, Father, since we, we may have people listening who don't know what the Assumption is, can, can you give us a quick recap? A quick recap. If that's well, even possible. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> The dogma of the assumption is something that the church always believed but didn't put really, you know, it's like they, we didn't put it into, into writing until 1950. So the dogma was only uh, 71 years yep. old in terms of since it's being proclaimed. And at the beginning in, ter- in terms of church history, it was the feast was called the Dormition of Mary in terms of like, you know, Mary fell asleep or Mary, and, and this is what, this, what my brother priest was saying yesterday in his homilies, like, you know, they have, they have this church in Jerusalem, it's not too far from, from where the Last Supper is, uh, the, the Seneca where the Last Supper took place. And it's basically where they thought that Mary, you know, disappeared. We, she fell asleep and we don't know where she went. Why? Because, you know, she was assumed into heaven. So Jesus, we believe that Mary was assumed into heaven by our Lord in body and soul. And it was Pius XII who solemnly proclaimed that as dogma in 1950. And there, there was a great newsreel that I found on on Friday or Saturday, I sent it to, to our principal sister Rosalie, and she loved it. And from it was a British newsreel from the nineteen fifty from nineteen fifty, which for about two minutes explained, you know, with the old like here in Saint Peter's Square, where many people gather around to you know see Pius XII solemnly proclaim Mary the assumed into heaven as official dogma of the church, and it was so it was like so. Retro 1950s is newsreel, very. I could just you, see it in black and white. Right? It was black and white, and you <laughs> saw. All, now here's the thing, and there's something great about this newsreel. There was one lady that was holding up something above her head. I'm like, wait a second, did they have iPhones back in 1950? No, what, they, what the camera then turned around, she was holding up something, and she was looking at this. It was a little mirror oh, because wow. she was so deep into the crowd, she needed this little mirror to be able to see the Pope as he processed by. That's awesome. So it was like, wow. You know, it's like I, you know, you don't. We're so used to everybody putting their hands up to get a, a, a you know, a shot of something with their phone, something like that, and they're like, 1950, what she's doing? What is she doing? So that's when it was solemnly proclaimed. But it's something that the church has always believed. Why? Because Mary was immaculately conceived. In fact, uh, in the preface, and I referenced this yesterday, because when you when you go to Mass, you know, and you listen to the prayers, the prayers always are great catechists of our faith during the liturgy. And so yesterday, we said during the preface, the preface is what we say right before the Holy Holy, right before the consecration, I said during the Mass, every priest said, For today the Virgin Mother of God was assumed to heaven as the beginning and image of your church's coming to perfection and a sign of sure hope and comfort to your pilgrim people. Rightly, you would not allow her to see the corruption of the tomb since from her own body she marvelously brought forth your incarnate Son, the author of all life. And that's so beautiful because Mary is the image of the church of what we aspire to be aspire to be up there in heaven, aspire to 
win the glory that God has prepared for us in heaven. And also, just common sense. Because Mary was preserved from sin from the very beginning of her life, from conception, Christ would not allow her sure. to taste the sting, the sting of death. For sure. Yeah, and I've always been fascinated by, you know, just the the devotion that people had for Mary while she was alive. You know, and, and we know where all the apostles were buried and, and churches were built up around that, around that spot. And yet there is no church for you know, the burial place of Mary. So we know there's a, there's a church where, where her house was. There's the Milk Grotto. You know, there's all these Marian temples that, that were constructed around major sites connected to her. Even and, for our Lord. Yeah, but, but specifically with Mary, you know, where, where people say, well, where's the proof? You know, and, and we say, well, there's, you're not going to have proof. But the fact that there is no church for her, for the place where she was buried, should tell us something quite significant, that she was not, in fact, right. buried. The only church is what I mentioned earlier, was is Dormition of Mary, where it has a beautiful statue, of, you know, just a statue of her lying down sleeping. Yep. And, you know, I saw an image yesterday I had never seen before. Um, I don't know where I saw it, but it was an image of... Basically, she falls asleep, and the angels carry her, like you know, take up the blankets and yeah. ca- the blanket and carry her awesome. into heaven, sleeping. But every other image you have of the Assumption is Mary, you know, looking up to heaven and being assumed, like standing up, but being assumed into heaven, just being lifted up, kind of like Christ ascended into heaven. Right. Now, another image that we have yesterday is the image of Mary as the new Eve. If Christ is the new Adam, because just as death entered into the world through Adam, you know, now Christ bring comes in to bring life. And just like Eve said no to to God because of the temptation in the garden, now Mary, because of her yes, allows salvation to come in. Now, there's a a catechism of John Paul II that I published in the Bulls in this weekend that said, you know, this is very true. Mary's yes allowed all of this to happen and put all of this into motion. Now, he cautions us not, not to say that Mary's role is more important than that of Christ. Of course it's not because Christ is the Redeemer. And Christ is the one who brings her up and, and makes her full of grace by his very presence. But, you know, it is very important that we understand that she is the new Eve because of her yes, because of what she said to the angel, because of her yes, not only at the moment of the Annunciation, but throughout her life all the way to the cross. You know, we need to emulate that in our lives so we can continue to say yes to the Lord at all times. Yeah. Now, the big question in your homily yesterday you know, is, <laughs> is heaven the goal? And here's where, right. where the rubber hits the road, right? Right. So. No, I mean, because, it, and, and I have to confess that, I, you know, I had prepared my homily, and I had the 5 o'clock Mass on Saturday and the, and the 1030 Mass on Sunday, and I don't know why, I celebrated this feast 20 times as a priest, and I had forgotten that the, that the Vigil Mass readings are totally different, so I had to... You know, at the last minute, prepared to, you know, a slightly different homily. There's shorter readings on, on Saturday. Um, but on Sunday, I would say, and I told you this last night, Jorge, that two-thirds of my homily yesterday was completely off script. Nothing that I prepared. And that, and that question was part of it. Because it was just something stream of conscience just came to me, and that's just proof of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That, you know, we're talking about this. We're talking about, you know, we're looking up at Mary, and I'm saying, you know, and I'm pointing to the image of our Blessed Mother that we had there on the altar, and I'm saying, you know, this is where we want to go. We want to be where Mary is. And that's when the question entered my mind. So is heaven our goal? Now it's a rhetorical question. And usually I ask questions, nobody answers. But, you know, about a third of the congregation goes, yes. And I'm like, well, thank you. I didn't ask for a response. Only a third? Only a third, yeah. <laughs> no, but the thing is that the two other two-thirds realized it was a rhetorical question. But, no, but it, it, was, it, was, it was amusing. And so I go, but yeah, we all... Obviously, all of us want to get into heaven. That is our goal. But is it really? Is it really our goal when our actions say otherwise, when our words say otherwise, when the way we treat other people says otherwise, when we are not acting in a manner worthy of our calling as Christians, as our vocation as Christians? So this is something so important because you see Mary, and the gospel yesterday was the Magnificat. You know, obviously it was a visitation, Mary visiting Elizabeth, but then Mary going into the Magnificat. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. So Mary is saying, with all my being, I proclaim the greatness of the Lord. So I was asking the people, if heaven truly is our goal, then we should be able to speak just like Mary, with all our being, without even saying a word. Yep. Just like Mary, proclaim the greatness of the Lord. And that's 
the key to heaven. John, I mean, not John Paul, uh, Pope Francis said yesterday in, in his Angelus address, see, the secret with Mary is her humility because we cannot do that until we humble ourselves, until we say, you know what, in order to achieve heaven, I, re- I need to realize I'm not worthy of heaven. Because even Mary said that in the Magnificat, he has looked with favor upon his lowly servant, but she had just been told by the angel, full of grace, she had just been told by her cousin, blessed are you among women, and yet she still is humbling herself and saying, the Lord has looked with favor on his lowly servant. That's step one. Step one is humility. It is a virtue that constantly eludes us. It's a virtue that the world does not think of a virtue. The world thinks as a weakness. But we need to say, you know what? If heaven truly is our goal, I need to embrace humility. I need to embrace this concept of, you know what? I need to get rid of the stuff in my life that doesn't bring me closer to God. If heaven truly is our goal, I need to live a guess. Because we all, and I was talking about that in my homily even this morning, uh, you know, Monday morning mass, that, you know, there's so many times where we give lip service. Like, yeah, I want to get into heaven. But our lives don't reflect that. Our actions don't reflect that. The way we things, the things we do don't reflect that. And mainly our spiritual life doesn't reflect that. Yeah, we want to get into heaven. We're in church, you know, for an hour on no. Sundays. But what about the rest of the week? For sure. Every day, you know, we always have to be magnifying and proclaiming the greatness of the Lord. Yeah, you know, I think the, the telltale sign of holiness, and it's really something we learn from the saints, is they are never, ever pointing to themselves. Nope. Uh, I mean, you, you look at the beautiful icons that, that the that the you know the history of the church has has given us that artists around the world have given us and you never see you know anyone in depicted in an icon you know pointing to themselves they're always uh they're not even looking at you they're they're typically looking you know away or up to heaven as as you know the images of mary or you know or looking at christ or point literally directly pointing at christ and there's a reason we call these icons you know windows into heaven because it's it's through the icons, it's through the saints, it's through our life of holiness that we see Jesus Christ, that we see heaven, that we see you know, grace and, and you know, all this good, every, every good thing that, the, that God has created for us and intends for us. Um, so, you know, do we have that humility, which is, again, we, and we've, we've spoken on this, you know, this is episode 13, I think it's come up in, in five of our episodes already. <laughs> You know, do we have really the courage to stop pointing at ourselves you know, and to say, no, there's, there is someone greater than me? Kind of like know? John the Baptist. Exactly. <laughs> he said that exactly. There's someone greater than me coming out. There is one saint that I was thinking of right now that who, you know, he wanted to become a saint out of vanity. And that's St. Ignatius of Loyola. Here he was, a soldier. He wanted to be, you know, because that, these are the times of, of chivalry and knighthood and all these things, and he, and he wanted to be the greatest of them. But when he had, and, and this year, oh, the Jesuits are going to kill him. I believe it's the 400th anniversary of when he was injured. Uh, it just happened a couple of months ago. Yep. And he was laid up in bed, obviously, you know, almost had his leg blown off. And, uh, and this is, you know, a long time ago, and where they didn't have this, the medical technology we have now. So he was laid up in bed for a long time, and the only thing that he had at his disposal was a book of the saints. So he starts reading this, this book of the saints as if he was reading, you know, a, a, a novel about chivalry and about knights. You know, let's say, you know, King Arthur, you know, right. or anything like, something like that. And so he starts reading that, and he goes, you know what? I'm going to be the greatest of saints. And I'll never forget a Jesuit, he's giving a, retreat, giving a retreat to us, and he says to us, you know, Ignatius achieves Satan through vanity. Because God takes our weaknesses, perfects them, gives us the grace to be able to say, you know what, it's not about me. And it took Ignatius a while, you know, to realize that. But because of, you know, God took his sheer force, Ignatius' sheer force of will, and took that and transform that. Okay, I'm going to take your pride and your vanity right. and use that for my glory, which is why the motto of the Jesuits is for the greater glory of God. You know, so we, you know, that's that's an example. Someone who started pointing themselves, wanting to be, and said no, and to point to the other. So everything we do must point to Jesus. Everything that Mary did through her very life, because yesterday's gospel was the most you will hear out of Mary in terms of words, no. was that him the Magnificat. And 
everything she did pointed back towards her son. Even what happened yesterday, as we honored her yesterday, it pointed back to Jesus. Why? Because it was Jesus who did this. It was Jesus who assumed her into heaven. It was Jesus who made her full of grace. And so we asked Jesus to give us that, that grace as well, that grace to realize that, you know, we can't do this on our own. We need His grace to be able to live holy lives. We need His grace to be able to be humble. We need His grace to be able to be obedient to His will, you know, in our lives so we may obtain the joy and the glory that is to come. So if heaven is truly our goal, then we need to live it. And that's where, you know, this whole concept of Mary, you know, going into heaven reminds us that, wow, you know, you see what Mary, what Mary achieved? That's what God wants us to achieve as well. Yeah, and, and it's not impossible, you no. know. And yes, she was, she was conceived without sin, but she was still, she was still human, just like anyone. And, and yet she had free will, but her, her entire disposition was geared to God, was geared to the yes. So she could have said no, but it just wasn't, it, it wouldn't have never even crossed her mind because she was so in tune you know, with God, because she was so uh, you know, cognizant of, of what God was doing in her life. And doesn't mean she wasn't afraid. I mean, you know, she she literally says, you know, who am I? No, not no, but no. but she says, you know, who who am I? You know, what's going on here? And and the angel says, you know, do not be afraid. You know, we got this. We'll we'll take care of you. We'll we'll walk with you. So it's not impossible. You know, no matter what our what our situation is. You, you just mentioned Ignatius. God uses our weaknesses, and, and will will kind of meet us where we are, and and walk with us, and help us along that journey if if we allow him to and there's a wonderful you know to, to go back to that question of is is heaven our goal today's gospel the the gospel of monday august 16th for mass is perfect you know to be able to summarize and to reflect on this question and it's the the story of the young man who approaches jesus yeah and and asks him good teacher how do i inherit eternal life let me just read to you really quickly from Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Now, someone approached him and approached Jesus and said, Teacher, what good must I do to, to gain eternal life? Jesus answered him, Why do you ask me about the good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He asked him, Which ones? And Jesus replied, You shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All of these I have observed, but what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this statement, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. So I read that this morning, and I kind of like continued my homily from yesterday, my, my brief homily this morning, saying, Listen, here is a young man who... Had every had the best of intention, had great desire. What must I do to inter- inherit eternal life? And he goes to Jesus. Jesus says, "Okay, you know, observe the commandments. You know, goes through the commandments. I've observed all of these things." And so Jesus says, "Okay, if you wish to be perfect, if you wish to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me." And then here's the first line out of my mouth from my homily this morning was here's one of the most tragic scenes in the entire gospel because here you had a young man who really wanted eternal life who really desired to embrace what Jesus was 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 teaching and selling and and really want to embrace this this life but he was too attached to his possessions and he went away sad yeah I've always I've always been struck by that line you know he went away he literally had it at his fingertips and, and because he because he was stuck in his ways, you know, because he didn't want to, you know, to, to take that step to go the distance. He goes away sad. Yeah, no, and so you look at that and you, and you go back to the question from yesterday. Yes, he started off, yes, heaven is my goal. Okay, so if heaven is my goal, yep. good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, do all the commandments? Yes, accomplish them. All right, great. But Jesus says, to be perfect, go to everything you have, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And here's a moment 
of decision, which yep. all of us have. Because that's, that's what I went into deeper into my homily yesterday is like, yeah, we say we want eternal life. Right. We say we want our goal is heaven. But do our actions reflect that? In the gospel today, with this young man, it did not reflect it. Yes, there was an intention, but then when he was forced to act and say, this is the way, you know, Jesus himself gives this young man the blueprint he needed to achieve salvation. He says, this is what you must do. And he goes, no. He went away sad because he had too many possessions. So, and which led me to say in the homily this morning, which was, you know, he had too many possessions, or maybe the possessions possessed him, yep. which has happened so much to us. We're slave to so many of our possessions. So many of us are slaves to our phones, slaves to whatever to to whatever we're binging on on TV or whatever you know what, whatever it is that that we're slaves to, and we can't. We have to make distinctions in our life. And say, I'm going to de- dedicate X amount of time to this, X amount of time to that, because yes, there's room for enjoyment of sports, movies. You know things that we do with our families, but we all we must leave the bulk share to our God. And so, when it comes to this young man, all his possessions were obviously more important than it, than eternal life, because he said, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" Jesus gives us the blueprint. He says, "No." He goes away sad. So yes, his intention was heaven, but as our formators used to say in seminary, the road to hell is paved by good intentions. Yes. And so we could intend very many things. We intend to do so many things, but when it comes to action, to concrete action, do we truly believe what we profess? If we say, like all those people that said yesterday, when I asked, is heaven our goal? And they said, yes. I go, yes, but do you truly believe that? I went on Twitter yesterday and I said, is heaven our goal? You know, in fact, what, what I said on Twitter was, was basically, and I thought I was going to get more reaction, especially from the nut job crowd. Did I say that out loud? Keep that in there. Don't edit it out. Okay. But I said, where Mary has gone is our heavenly destiny. But it begs a question for all of us. Is heaven truly our goal as Christians? Of course it is. Uh, but is it really? With our words and with our actions in the world and on this website, Twitter, is heaven truly our goal? Because you see so many people who claim to be Catholic and, and are Catholic, but Go on there and just want to bring down priests yep. and bishops and my, you know, my, my priest homily stunk this morning and it may very well have. Tell him, don't tell the world, you know, discuss it. With, you know, it's just, Jesus says in the gospel, when you have a problem with a brother, you know, go discuss it with them. Don't proclaim it to the world. Yep. But so many things that we do, you know, especially you know, we, we talked about it a little bit last week, the you know, keyboard warriors, yep. they just sit around the house. You know, it's like, there's a, you saw this scene. There's a great scene in, 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 in the West Wing in, in the show that I turned George on to uh, last year where one of the characters, this is in the nascent stage of the internet, and where there was no social media, all you had was message boards back yeah. then and chat rooms. And he's like, you know, he goes, there's these people that are there. They're all talking about the government. And I see them all chain smoking and just, you know, <laughs> lunatic and all, you know, and Nurch Ratchet coming in there and, and taming all of them. And, and it's like, yeah, that's the image that I have sometimes when I read some of these things that my brothers and sisters who claim to be Catholic are putting out there in social media. So is heaven truly our goal? If you're, bringing, if you're constantly bringing on people, yes, you are called to fraternally correct. Right. Okay. But there's a time and a place. There's a time. And a way. But the way is the most important. Everything in charity. Everything in charity. Because you go on there and you say, you know, and I pray for these people. I pray for these people that, first of all, you know, spend more time looking at their phones or looking at their computer screens than than looking at the tabernacle. Better Time better spent. Looking at the tabernacle, looking, going to a place like ours that has perpetual adoration, and you go and look at the monstrance and look at Jesus and forget about the noises and forget about the voices in the world because if our goal is heaven, then look to the source of life that is Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, you know, just, just to tie this back to the young man in the, in the gospel today, there has to be a, an embrace of the uncomfortable too. Mm. Yeah, and, and I think that's, in my experience, in, in, especially with, with young people, 
you know, when we say we're going to go to adoration, we're going to we're going to go spend some time in silence, or or not, or just in the classroom. You know, we're going to have five minutes of silence, and you know, you start seeing them squirming in their chairs. Forget and, about children, adults. You know, there is there is this hesitancy to be uncomfortable, uh, and yet if we're going to allow the Holy Spirit into our lives, if if we're going to allow God to make a difference in our lives, to you know, to to change us, you know, we have to enter into that uncomfortableness you know and and the young man is in the gospel is you know kind of textbook image of you know jesus literally saying as we've as we've said already you know yeah you're you're doing great but you're you're too comfortable so you want to be perfect go be uncomfortable now sell sell it all come follow me i'll take care of you i won't let you down you know i'm gonna i'm gonna take good care of you i'm gonna get you to heaven i'm gonna you're gonna have everything you could ever want but because of that hesitancy to be uncomfortable, you know, to, to not give himself completely, you know, he loses it. And, and the result, as is, you know, black and white in the Gospels, he goes away sad. You know? and, and I think that's telling for all of us, you know, in this conversation we've had. If heaven is our goal, we have to embrace being uncomfortable. And what's the most uncomfortable thing about Christianity? Everything. <laughs> no, everything. But the cross, especially Absolutely. the cross. Yep. Because it reminds us that sacrifice is required. Sure. Because the cross is sacrificial love personified, what we see Jesus do on the cross. And so we want to get to heaven and we think, okay, we're, you know, it's, you know, maybe a better question this kid could have asked in the gospel was, oh, what's the easiest way I could get to heaven? Yeah. There is no easy way, and I think that's the question we ask yeah. more often. You know, that's what. what <laughs> what's the shortcut? Where? I was in your office last week when you feel the call for religious education, and you when you when you and you answered the phone. I wasn't paying much attention to and you know do what you were saying because you were on the phone. Yep. So when you hung up, you immediately told me there's someone who's shopping around yep. for a faith formation program. So what they're doing is they're calling. Our parish, another Saint Saint Augustine, Saint Thomas, Saint Raymond, and seeing which is the path of least resistance. Yep. Yep. Who's to, who's the cheapest? Who's who, got the shortest class? Yes, who's who, got the most uh, leniency? I mean, I, I understand in terms of convenience of hours because you know oh, kids for, have other things that I sure. totally get. But when we are approaching Christianity, it goes, what is the the bare minimum? Listen, we all did this when we were in school. When they tell us do an eight-page paper, we would do an eight-page paper. I would do seven pages and one word. Exactly. No, exactly. And you would, and you would, and you would, you know, sometimes play with the fun and play with the margins and odd stuff. And then back then, the professors weren't, weren't, you know, hip to that. Maybe they were. They, they just couldn't care less. But we can't approach, you know, have that. What is the bare minimum approach to Christianity? So what you're saying is true. Yes, we have to kind of embrace what makes us not kind of. We have to embrace. What makes us uncomfortable and what makes us more uncomfortable than the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember that on Easter somebody complained that, you know, when that we still had the cru well, that we had the crucifix up. Yep. First of all, the crucifix is bolted down to the back of the church, the Raritas. Not even bolted down. It, no, it is literally like, carved into a one solid piece. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like we it, it's, we you know, we covered it up for Good Friday. So I guess he wanted us to put the happy, glorious Jesus, which is great. But we, even on Easter Sunday, we have to be reminded how we got there. And so, yes, a better question this kid could have asked was, what's, what's the easiest way to heaven? There is no easy way to heaven. It's difficult. It's hard. But it's so worth doing and so happy. You know, and, and, that's, and, and that's truly what brings us joy. He went away sad. But now, every single one of the disciples that followed Jesus, when Jesus said, follow, follow me, and they did, their lives changed. And yes... All but John were martyred, but they in joyfully embraced their martyrdom. Their martyrdom, and so we have. Oh, they to ran to it. Yeah, <laughs> you look. You look at some of the early the, the apostles. You look at Saint Paul. You look at Ignatius of Antioch. You look at Irenaeus. You look at all the early. Oh, you know, church and, and last week we just celebrated one of my favorites, Saint Lawrence. Yeah. Who, who, for those who don't know, Saint Lawrence was uh, was, for lack of better description, barbecued to death. Uh, okay. And and literally said to his uh, to his torturers, you know, turn me over. I'm done on this side. Yep. So talk about embracing, you know, being uncomfortable and embracing martyrdom and and, and finding work. joy in it because right. he knew, okay, yeah, I'm gonna die here, but what's coming next is is and infinitely better. And it's having the confidence and the joy of knowing what you're saying, what is to come, 
I can't wait because I get to see my Lord. You know, you talk about another martyr two days ago, St. Maximilian Kolbe. Yeah. St. Maximilian Kolbe was a priest in Poland, and, and very devout to our Blessed Mother and to Immaculate, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And he was in a concentration camp. Somebody escaped, so what the Nazis did was they, they took 10 people to make examples of, put them in a starvation chamber. They selected a man who had a wife and kids, St. Maximilian Kolbe said, Nope, this man has a wife and family. Let me take his place. Nancy could care less. Nope. Fine, you take his place. They went in there. He led them in song. He led them in prayer. And this was a Catholic priest probably with other Jewish men, you know. And he was the last one yep. to die because he was joyful. He was devout to our Blessed Mother. He was commending himself. But that's what all of us must do is... This, you know, it's not thinking, and this is the crux of Christianity. It's not thinking about ourselves. It's, and I tell this constantly to couples who, are, who get married. It's not thinking about what I need. It's thinking about the other need, what the other needs. And this is the crux of Christianity. It's always thinking about the other. The other with a capital O, which is God, right. and the other with a lowercase O, which is our brothers and sisters, our neighbor. This is what we must do. To, so what, if our goal truly is heaven, we must, we talked about last week in, in, in the second reading in Ephesians, be kind to one another, compassionate to one another, forgiving of one another, stop shouting at one another, and saying, Lord, this is what I commend to you. So we look at our Blessed Mother in the Assumption and say, you know, we look at her and ask her, Holy Mother, please help me to be like you. Help me to be humble like you. Help me to say yes like you. Help me to draw closer to the heart of your son. Amen. Yes! Yes! The you! The you! The you! The you! It's you a no-brainer. He's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> that guy just... No, but just... No. Get out of here. <laughs> what was that last night? Football. Football. We're imitating the sipping container from the Dan Levitard show here. But, oh my goodness. I know your sister was very excited to... I mean, first of all, football's been back, quote-unquote, since the 5th of August when they play the Hall of Fame game, but yeah. the Dolphins. But Miami football. Let's yes. let's clear. Miami football. Saturday at 1 p.m., <laughs> you know, we all sat down. Well, some of us sat down at 1 o'clock to watch the Dolphins take on the Chicago Bears, and it was so glorious. It was so beautiful to see football played on it's, my team. It was nice to see it on the screen. I, just, I can't get into spring. Into, uh, spring into, training? Into preseason. <laughs> there we go. Still, still in baseball mode here. I can't get into preseason football. No one can. It's awful. Jorge, I told you on Saturday, I, in the four years that, I mean, I was five years with the Dolphins and four years on the sidelines. And with the exception, I think, of two preseason games, I saw every preseason snap in person. I remember years and years ago, my father and I were gifted two tickets to the first preseason game against Tampa. This was like in the mid-2000s, something like that. And we saw, we walked out at halftime because it was unwatchable. Because it's basically, it's watching practice. But in preseason football, you know, you're, you're so hyped up for because you, you're missing and you're thinking you're going to get, you know, week one action and all that yeah. stuff. And everybody's going to, you know, play all four quarters. And you want more, you want more. You, you, you want it feed the beast you want to feed this this appetite and then when they take your starters out you're like no but it it's literally like spring training where you get the you get the starters innings, yeah. you get the starters for three four innings and yeah. then everyone then, else comes in it's who what we don't know who these people are <laughs> and you with spring training they're gonna go and go back to single a double a or triple right. a and and we'll see them down the road but with these people, because listen, I lived this and I saw and I got close to some of these guys and I was rooting for some of these guys. Even the veterans were rooting for some of these guys. And you knew that these poor guys, by the end of the month, would not have a job. Right. And it, it, you know, it was heartbreaking. And they would be out there and they're, you know, they're fighting and they're and they're and they're going out there and giving it their all. And, and sometimes their all isn't good enough. And and you and what because what you see is a lot of of bad football. But to uh. Oh. Yeah, now, now before we get to Tua, because because 
we've we've gone through this year after year. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't like to buy too much into no. what you see at spring. No, it's a, so we have to caution in see, spring again. I gotta <laughs> not, you stop with the baseball, dude. We're in football now. We'll get to the baseball in a minute. You 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 have to take what you see in preseason no, with a grain absolutely. of salt. Absolutely. No, no, no. And I know this firsthand. You've been my, burned. You've been burned I, several times. Way way too many times. I remember my last year with the Dolphins, 2015. They had an amazing preseason. I was at camp. They were firing at all cylinders. I, every practice I went to, firing at all cylinders. And I'll never forget a beat writer for the Miami Herald, who no longer works there, you know, and said, this team is going 11-5. and five. By week four, they had fired our coach. Wow. Because, you know, there was a lot of things internally that, you know, that just weren't working. But that team during preseason, every time the first team of the, of the offense took the field, they scored touchdowns, which is what you want to see in preseason football. So preseason means nothing. I believe the perfect season team, the 72 team of the Dolphins, lost two games in in preseason. So it means nothing. It's practice. It's the coaches wanting to see what the rookies have, the people that are trying to make the team, the people you saw in the second. You know when that preseason game means nothing and the score means nothing when the beat writers stop tweeting about the game. And sometime around the third quarter, they stopped tweeting because they were writing their stories about what happened in the first half. So now, Hi. that being said, ah. let's talk about the first half because you're pumped. No, yeah, because you know what? <laughs> he played well. I mean, here's the thing is that they were talking about this. Jason Taylor was was the analyst for the game, and God bless JT. And he was talking about, listen, Tua last year was coming off a major injury, hip injury, okay? Did not have the benefit of OTAs, of, of mini camps of sitting with coaches in the same room right. of, you know, and of a preseason. Yes, they had training camp, but almost everything was virtual. Team meetings were virtual. Thing, you know, practice was probably the only thing that wasn't virtual. And so now he had an entire offseason to rehab from that injury even more, right. to strengthen it, to get more, you know, acclimated with the offense. And he go out there, and what struck me most of all was his accuracy. He was putting that ball on the money to his receivers, and that's something you want to see. The last pass he threw, unfortunately, he did not see. Uh, it was Shaheen, the tight end, wide open in the end zone. When he finally saw me, he tried to force it in there, and the two defenders converged yeah. on the tight end, and they intercepted it. But, you know, those things, he was aggressive. Those things, I don't mind. It's preseason. You work that out. You know, I said, I go, this is just pure speculation. Because they had, you know, one of the reporters said that, you know, he may have may have gone, was may go into the third quarter, which I, you know, I doubted at the time because on the first season of the game, you never take your starters into the third quarter. But I, we want, you know, you want more. Right. Again, you want to feed that appetite. You want more. But I was saying at the time, I go, maybe, you know, Coach Flores says, okay, uh, this is enough. Let that, you know, maybe let that interception linger in your mind so that, you know, not to force it in there right. to not, you know, make a play where there is none to be made. So that that was great. It was encouraging. There were a lot of starters that were held out. You know, uh, I think, you know, especially our defense, our second team defense was pretty much out there the entire game, the entire first half. And, and, they, and still shut down. They the, shut down the Bears' offense yep. in the first half. They didn't allow a first down until the end. And by, by, even by the end of the first half, there were third team and fourth team players going in there that probably aren't going to make the team. And the Bears ran, you know, ran away with it in the second half, and that by that time, nobody in the Dolphins was paying attention. Yeah. I mean, at least anybody that, that was important. Yeah, you may have a guy that made a play here or there, but it was just great to see. And and what I love about preseason is always, we were talking about don't overreact. Is everybody overreacting to everything? Look at Trey Lance. He threw a, an 80-yard bomb for a yeah. touchdown in San Francisco. Look at Justin Fields in Chicago. Look at He, he, he started out awful because he was playing against a second-team defense, but when the third and fourth year came in, yeah, yeah, he started carving them up because these are the same people that he would play, you know, you know, when he was at Ohio State playing Purdue and playing, you know, the Indianas of the world. You know, no offense to Purdue and Indiana, but that's what would happen. And then, you know, other other young quarterbacks around, around the league that played very well. Trey, I did not see – I read about it, but I did not see the highlights of Trevor Lawrence, but apparently he was a little shaky, you know, up there in Jacksonville. But – uh. It's so good to be talking about football. 
It's just, it's just, it's just so, just so good. And we are, we are into the teens day away from uh, UM football. Oh no, it's uh, 19, 19 today. 19 days today? Yesterday was Ed Reed day. So so. you have, you have a countdown clock somewhere in your, in your house, you know? No, no, I just, uh, there's a, what is it? There's a, there's an account on Twitter. Oh, okay. That puts up jersey numbers every day. That's right. I've seen that. I forget which one it is right now, but. Oh, yesterday must, it had to be when it closed up. No, Ed Reed day, 20. 20. Ooh, you're right. Man, that's a tough call. I don't know who they put up for 19, but. But number 20, the first one that came to mind, I don't know why it was Bernie Kosar. You know, it was the first championship quarterback. But I'd read, yeah. But you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna stick with Bernie because I think he had a more impactful UM career than Ed Reed. Ed Reed was a better pro. Right. You know, Bernie was a, was a good professional. Took almost to Cleveland twice to the Super Bowl. But... Ed Reed was a great UM guy, and I love Ed Reed, and, and that, that secondary is probably, would probably never be equal. You had Ed Reed, Sean Taylor back there, and, and oh my goodness, but you know what? If you're talking about impact to UM yeah. history, you know, our first championship quarterback. Bernie. Bernie Kosar is like, you know, and, and his contribution to the U documentary <laughs> is like so epic. You know, so that requires a viewing. It does. I think. It I think, does. And I have... I have the ESPN Plus subscription, so I may I may look at that. That's the greatest recruiting video ever. Created. It is, and it was, and to me, until they made um, the Last Dance, was the greatest thirty, 30 for thirty. 30. They yep. made, well, OJ made it America was all, but in terms of like the original ones that they made, it was a thirty for thirty because it was the thirtieth anniversary right. of ESPN. But the ones that they made at the time, they, yeah, they made one about Bo Jackson, they, you know, you know, things about that one. And it was the highest rated one yep. for a, for a long, long time, long time. Yep. because the U has this mystique. And so it's all about the U, baby, and we can't wait. So 19, I'm trying to think of a 19 for University of Miami. I can't remember. It, it escapes us, you know, so it's quarterback or, or wide, you know, wide receiver yep. or cornerback or something like yep. that. So the U. The U. Now, now we have to end with some magic here. Oh, we have to. We got to backtrack a few more days. Uh, we talked about heaven in the first segment, so yes, and we're gonna finish with heaven because Field of Dreams game mm. in the cornfields of mm. Iowa. I mean, if you haven't seen this, do yourself a favor. Well, first, if you haven't seen the movie, I don't know what you're what's wrong with you. You need to go watch the movie. <laughs> you made your wife sit through it on Friday night. She hadn't seen it. She hadn't seen she it. She hadn't seen and it. And she didn't so, cry well, at the end. You told we, me she didn't cry at the end. Watched, Andy, what's wrong with you? You didn't cry at the end. We watched the game. Uh-huh. And then... Did she think the game was cool? She did. I mean, okay. you know, as... We're going deep into talking about Angie. She's going to really hate us tonight at dinner. Go, go ahead. I love you. Um, so she, she watched the game and she then... She was intrigued by the game. I mean, how can you not be? And it was, so, it was so again, if you haven't vision. if you haven't seen the movie, you need to go watch the movie. If you haven't seen the game, at least go watch the. the and the and we'll get to this the, the the highlights, but as the players come in, but we, she watched the game with me on was that Friday Thursday Thursday, and then over the weekend she goes, so we're we gonna watch Fields of Dreams. I was like, oh, oh my god, you're lucky. I man. married, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. There you go. There, there <laughs> he is. Just redeem himself. So we watched the movie again, and I I did kind of poker like. You didn't cry at the end. How did yeah, you what's not? up with that? And she said she said she was holding it in. Ah, uh, okay. But here's the thing: is that, but does it does that movie hit? We but we talked about this movie on Father's Day in our last episode yeah. of, of season one, and and it hits us because we're sons. That's what I was going to say. Father. Does it hit? Yeah. Uh, women the same way that. It, That's a good I mean, question it's to ask. it's a great emotional right movie, but but it it definitely. Now your sister's going to say you're just weak human beings. That's what. <laughs> She's going to tell us. That's fine. I'll take it. No, but it's it's like, I can't watch. I mean, even, you know, during the game when they would put clips of the movie, we even put parts of the soundtrack. By the way, you can't find the soundtrack anywhere. Online. I don't know why. Unless you go on Amazon and buy an old CD. But it's an amazing it's, soundtrack by it's James magic. Warner. It's magic. Same pure, guy that pure did magic. the soundtrack for uh, Titanic. And um, they were playing that during the game and different parts of the game. They would put different cl- clips of the movie and you know i told a friend who had not seen the movie who was a big um fan and and i told him he goes he goes yeah i've never seen it. all i know it's about baseball and it's and it's about ghosts and it's about a voice and and i and i go into the espn 30 for 30 boys what if i told you it was about none of those none things. of those things and i go it's about a father and a son and so that's what it's about and that game number one first of all the yankees are playing so you know i'm invested yeah but I have bad ma- news for you, though. No, no, no. The yeah. Yankees are now the only team in MLB history to lose a game in Iowa. Oh, shut up. 
You know I had to go there. No, but they they won the next two in Chicago. <laughs> but in, in but they're fashion. the only team in Major League Baseball history to lose a professional game. There's only been one in, in Iowa. Iowa. Stop. But here's the thing. The, the magic of that game, because not only was every all the visuals, the cor- you know, carving out a baseball diamond in the cornfield, the home runs going into the corn and disappearing into the cone into the night, in the corn in the night, and then the ninth inning, the Yankees are down four runs. And... Aaron Judge hits a monster blast for a three-run homer into dead center. And then a guy gets on, and my father, who had to was going on a road trip early the next morning, and he loves making fun of Giancarlo San, who doesn't. You know, I'm like, oh, boy. There's two outs yeah. in the ninth inning. We are down to run. And man on, I go, this is going to be a strike. I just throw it low and away, and let's call it a night. And I was okay. And at that time, I was resigned, and I was saying, oh, you know what? It's only natural and probably good that it's the White Sox that win this game because the movie is about yep. the 1919 Black Sox coming back to that field as ghosts and playing on that field and, and all that. You know, it's more about that. But, it, you know, that's the, the first players that yep. come out, Shoeless Joe Jackson and, and, and his teammates. But I go, you know, it's probably only right that the White Sox win this. But when Giancarlo Stan got a hold of that one, and you knew off the bat when he swings at that violently yep. that it was gone. I mean, yep. barely made it over the fence, though, but it's... It was a bullet over the fence. And I'm in my, and I, I had already resigned myself. I, you know, when I turn off my TV and I go to my bedroom and just call it a night. I it's turn, over. I turn on the TV and I'm like, I'm, I'm not even paying attention. I'm like, whoa. I leaped out of bed screaming like we had just won game seven of the World Series. And I'm like, no, now we got to win. And I'm like, and boom, we were, we were moving along in the bottom of the ninth inning. And then Tim Anderson. And I have not paid, and I have to confess, I have not paid much attention to the Chicago White. Who has? Who has, yep. <laughs> I mean, we pay more attention to the North Side in Chicago. And, you know, and we just swept Chicago. Because we always, I love playing the Cubs. Yeah, it's always fun. You were there, you know, but you were there on Friday. And you enjoyed it. So, seeing when, when he hit that home run, I'm like, man, that hurts. But was there any other way this, this game could have ended? Because everything about that game was just magical. Yep. You couldn't have scripted it better. No, if you would have said... Let's say we, we were going to do this. Let's say you would have done this. Let's do a Field of Dreams sequel and done that same. They would have said, no, this is this is too much. Yeah. This is like, oh, the Yankees come back. The big, bad, mighty Yankees come back. And then, no, you beat them. And no, and the corn and the people there. And it was like yeah. so, so beautiful. I think the, the coolest part was, if I remember correctly, it was the 15th walk-off home run that the White Sox have ever hit against the Yankees. Yes. And the first one... Mm-hmm was Shoeless Joe Jackson. And it was the only walk-off home run that Shoeless Joe Jackson ever hit. Wow. There you go. I mean, that was, and it was in 1919, the year they they won the pennant. (laughs) So, and it was the last year he played baseball. So it was, it was something mythical. And I told you, I told you this during the game. I said, it was great. It was wonderful. But to go back, you know, baseball is so, reflects so much about life. The beauties, the magic, but also the imperfections of our life. There's so many imperfections to the sport. And I go, you know, this game also speaks to the hypocrisy of baseball. That they're here, yes, celebrating a wonderful movie, but also celebrating one of the biggest scandals in the sport's history. They almost brought the sport down. They had to bring in a judge to fix a judge, uh, Kennesaw Landis, who was the one that suspended uh, the the eight eight Black Sox for life. And Shoeless Joe Jackson would never play again and was one of the best players to ever. They, Babe Ruth, you know, copied his swing. Yep. You know, so that the baseball was celebrating the black, and they were wearing the, 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 the uniforms the of 1919, yep. Yep. which were so cool. But it just speaks to the hypocrisy, and it's like saying, you know, somebody, I heard somebody on a sports radio show uh, during lunch on, on Friday say, and if you, if you did that, you know, reinstate. The Black Sox and put Shoeless Joe Jackson in the Hall of Fame yep. where he where he belongs. Where he belongs. But you know it goes further than that because baseball is made up of flawed human beings. You know, Ty Cobb's in there, and you know even in the movie they reference this. You know, Ty Cobb wanted to come, we didn't like him, so we told him to and you know not to come. He, they said something else. Yep. But but that's that that's part of what baseball is, and it's like us in the church. It's like you know we're we're not a museum of saints. You know we're. we're you know, the, the, we're flawed human beings that gather together. Same thing in the Hall of Fame. Every single plaque that's up there, they're flawed human beings. Some better than others. Sure. You know, you look at Lou Gehrig and what he did, and and the way and the grace that he 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 exemplified. You know, it's just amazing. And so many characters like that. But on the flip side, you know, all the things that 
The other great players did. But Field of Dreams. Ah. I got to so, watch it again. It just again. That, That's one of those you, you can never watch it I'm, too many I'm, times. I'm pretty sure your wife will not go along with that one. If you build it. Yeah. <laughs> but she's not going to watch it again. She's not. But you, so you took your family, what was it, on Saturday? No, you took them on Saturday night. The day after Saturday, you saw Field yep. Dream, you took your family to so the Cubs game. The Cubs game. And you had not been to a This was game. my sixth game of the year, uh-huh. of this season, and I had yet to see them win a game. The five games previous that I had been to. And then they won a game. And they, they finally won. They won that game. They were like, they, they lost, did, I think they lost the lead. Yes, they did. Yep. They lost the lead after you had left. Yeah. So I was I go, Yeah, you know, is, anytime we take the kids, we, no, you we gotta, know. It's, obviously, you have to, you know, they're three and one and, one and a half, so it's yeah. like you have to. But And I was texting you, I go, no, you're not allowed to go back. That's it. That's it. You're, you're not. You're banned from the stadium. Every time you go, they lose, but they came back. They came back and, and won it. A great game. It was, no, it's, it, they're, they're, they're having fun. It's a fun team to watch the young guys. But right now, we're getting close. To football, to real football. So we'll look at Dolphins play Atlanta on on Saturday night, and uh, here in the here in the stadium, I will not be going to that because you know paying for preseason tickets. No, I mean I know the season ticket holders have to pay for it, but no. So a lot of fun. Can't wait to talk later in the month. We'll do more. We'll go deeper into UM, but. But this is just we, been, you gotta you gotta do pick them coming up soon. Oh so, no, we're gonna so do you gotta them. start doing your homework. Yeah, I know. No, I, I <laughs> you know I was seeing some sports writers that were in um, in Tokyo that cover either college football or pro football, and they took these huge magazines or these huge volumes of college football preview or NFL preview. You see them in the airport yeah. all the time. Never open one of them. It's like you know, but. If you really want to go deep into each team, and if you're a sports, you need to know these things. Right. A priest does not need to know these things. Just you know, roll out the you know, roll out the games, and I'll watch them when I have time because my Saturdays are kind of full of weddings these what? days. You know, you're busy. I'm busy on Saturdays and Sundays. <laughs> like this morning, I, I I told her, you know, have you know, how was your weekend? She goes, how was your weekend? Father goes, hey, it was fine. I'm gonna, you know, we work on the weekends. It's like you know, it's nice. Yeah, I don't have to go into the office, but. Weddings, funerals, you know, uh, masses, confessions, yep. all these things. So, big weekend for the, uh, you know, for the church as we celebrated the Ascension of our Blessed Virgin, uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, we have school coming up, so we pray for all of our, uh, all our children that are starting our school on Wednesday. I know the rest of the public school starts next Monday. We got to pray also, and we have to make mention for our brothers and sisters in Haiti who have uh, gone through that horrible earthquake on down near the, the southwest part of the country. And we pray for them. And if you want to donate any money to Catholic Charities, the address is ccadm.org, Catholic Charities, Archives of Miami, ccadm.org. And, and that money will go directly to the church in Haiti to help build up uh, so many so many things that were destroyed. And, and this morning I saw it was 700 people. That, That's heartbreaking. That, it, it is heartbreaking. And they, and they got that, what's left of Tropical Storm Grace is coming over them. So we got to pray for them. And so we commend them to our Blessed Mother, Notre Dame Thy Tea, as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary Mother, Mother of God, God pray, pray for us sinners, sinners now, and now and at the hour, hour of our, our death. death. Amen. Amen. And may our goal always be the kingdom of heaven. May Almighty God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.